And we believe that every time we come into his presence, and especially every time we open up his word, he has something to say to you today. And it is our prayer that you will have the ears to hear him, and you will be focused, and you'll be attentive, not necessarily to what I'm saying, but what God is saying and speaking to you here today. So today we finish our series of rhythms. As, we, as we've been looking at, this, at the idea and the concept of rest and renewal and the rhythms that God has built into creation, that even the rhythms that he has built into our life, that he almost expects us to live in. Because if we can live, we've been finding out that if we can live within his rhythms, we will experience this rest and this renewal that if we can honor God in these rhythms, he will honor us. And we will experience things that we would never experience if we don't honor him by living within these rhythms. So today we're going to be in the book of James. Today as we finish off this teaching. And like I mentioned earlier, we're we're going to look at at rest from a different angle today than we have in the past couple of weeks. Because as I had mentioned earlier in the year, I have it on, I've been having it on my heart and my spirit just to make sure that I just keep on seeing this word of equip, 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 that I, I just need to equip you this year and, and even beyond that, that I even said that I, there might be more teaching and uh, on, on this idea of equipping you for the life that God has created you, and especially the battle and the war that we rage against every single day of our life, that I want you to be equipped and, and properly prepared that you will have the tools and the resources, or be at least remind you of the tools and the resources that God has given you to, to experience victory in the struggles that we experience on a daily basis. And the reality is this, if we can't be equipped for this battle that we're in, these struggles that we are in, this, this war that we're in with the enemy, how can we ever experience rest? Like, how can we experience rest? The reality is we are in a war. Yes, there, Christ came and had that decisive victory, but we're not out of that. We are still in a war. And the reality is, how can we experience rest while in a war with the enemy of our souls? So that's kind of the angle that we're going to be approaching this teaching here today. And and we're in the book of James. And I encourage you to open up, if you haven't already, to to the first chapter of James. And we're going to start at verse 14. And we're going to read a passage that we're going to focus on on how we can find rest, but also be reminded of the, the battle that we're in and how we, can, how we can have the proper strategy in this battle. And as we have that proper strategy, it will provide the space and the opportunity for us to experience rest as well. So James says this, starting in verse 14. He says, but each person, Each person, he says, is tempted, and when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, will he brought us forth and by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Something about me is, is this, that I, I love watching shows or movies and even d- documentaries on special forces. I don't know what it is. I just, I love seeing things about special forces, um, especially the SEALs, right? Like, we hear so much about the U.S. Special Forces. Sometimes the Canadian Special Forces kind of gets left in its shadow. And to be honest, the Canadian Special Forces are an extreme elite force around the world as well. But I, I love watching anything regarding Special Forces and the training that they go through and the missions that they are called to carry out. It, it fascinates me. It, it really does. And Lisa has made it very clear, knowing I have that interest and that love. She's like, in no un- there is no way that you will ever, ever enlist or do anything like that. I'm too old now. They wouldn't want some old guy like me anyways. But she says, under no circumstances are you ever to pursue that. So I'm still here with you. But I think if I wasn't a minister... I'll be, I would have probably been somehow in, in a policing force or, or something like that because I, I think I would be good at it. And it just, it interests me. Like the training that these special force people go through, it's fascinating, but it's intense as well. Like these are the best of the best of the best. And the scene could look like this as they train themselves to take a building because even before they set foot on enemy ground, if they have a mission, they train intensively of that mission. If it's to take a building because there's hostages inside, they will construct a building that is similar to the one that they're going into and they will actually physically train and and maneuver through it and, and determine how they will best attack this situation. So the scene could be like this as they're, as they're training to take a building. The, board, the door is blown off They go chasing in, and then they do their thing, right? At one time watching this, two things hit me. Number one, the chaos of the situation. One time it hit me, just the chaos of that situation. Think about it. Explosives blowing doors off, smoke everywhere, flashbang grenades going off all over the place, shots being fired, and it's just bedlam, right? And the other thing that hit me was the beauty of their strategy. They were aggressive, but graceful. They were purposeful. And when you see these guys go and how they move, it is every step is with purpose. You can see that. They were purposeful, but patient. And within seconds, they eliminated all of the enemies, rescued all the hostages, and brought peace where there was chaos. And I remember watching it one time. A scene like that. And I thought to myself, that's the Christian life. Or at least it's supposed to be, right? The thing is, I don't think you ever have to try very long 
to have some kind of relationship with God before you realize that through this pursuit of spirituality, through this pursuit of intimacy with God, it happens in the context of adversity. Maybe you are, or maybe you have found yourself living in that Romans 7 life and that mindset. You know, the good I want to do, I'm not doing it. And the evil that I want to stop in my life, I keep on doing. And maybe you find yourself living in that life, that situation. And for many of us, as we live that out, we get discouraged by that situation. You know, we come, many people come into Christ thinking, okay, I come to Christ, and I thought, I thought, because of that, all my desires would go away, all my struggles would go away, all my temptations would go away. And we get discouraged by the situation when that doesn't happen. For many, if we're honest, when we, when we sing, when we have the opportunity to be in a room and sing and worship with other people, we don't. We don't sing with a lot of passion at times because there's this low-grade hum of our besetting sins and the attendant guilt of them. It just drowns out that passion when we have the opportunity to worship with other people. Maybe even when you try to worship by yourself, you can't sing with passion because of that. And for many, the wet blanket of our consistent failure is just muting a passion for the Lord and we're discouraged by the situation. See, this modern life that we now live is not conducive to human flourishing. And if life is a struggle, according to our modern life model, then we're not doing so great. If you're struggling, then you're not living your life great. Because you, have, you shouldn't struggle. Yet for many of us, what we, we hear that and we go, Bill, I get it. I already know that. I know life is a struggle. I get that. I've heard the war imagery in the Bible, and I'm discouraged by the struggle. I'm just here. And I need a strategy. You know, we might be thinking, you know, I want to be trained and equipped to overcome these obstacles so I can experience and pursue intimacy with God. Maybe the strategies you've tried in the past, they're just not working. Or they're not working anymore. And we sit surrounded by our same struggles going, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And there's something about this pursuit of intimacy with God that it's a struggle. And I'm not struggling well. And I want you to struggle well because the reality is we will continue to struggle. I want you to struggle well. And hopefully out of our discussion today, you can have a strategy where you can start struggling well in your life. So what I want to do today is look at that idea. If spirituality happens, if our relationship with God grows and that happens in the context of adversity, if life is hard, if it's a struggle, how do we struggle well? And I want to look at our situation first and then after, I look, after we look at our situation, 
Then we're going to talk about our strategy. So here's the situation. If, li if life feel if life feels like we're in a war, because we are, the pursuit of intimacy with God does happen in the context of adversity. That's how the Bible actually presents it. Jesus Christ, as much as he's presented as a lamb and as a shepherd, he's also presented as a warrior. In 1 John 3, it says that the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. That Jesus came, according to that, to destroy something. His first introduction to the Bible in Genesis, is as the seed of a woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Not very lame or shepherd-like, is it? It's more like a warrior, right? See, the, here's the reality. We have bought into Satan's lie that to really enjoy life, we actually have to run from the author of life. And yet God, in his mercy, didn't leave us in the chaos of our own decisions. He actually, because of that, instead he sent his son, he sent his son Jesus into this world to invade the darkness of it. I don't know what struggles or frustrations or temptations you're dealing with right now in your life, but the good news is this, the stronger one, Jesus, is here. Our God says, I see your sin, I see your shame, I see your condemnation, and rather than leaving it all on you, he who knew no sin became sin for you, for me. He says, I will take your shame, I will take your sin, I will take your combination, and I'm going to bury it, he says. He says, and then three days later, he says, I will rise from the grave. And not just me rise, but I'm bringing you with me. See, the cross was his triumph over the enemy. And yet the Bible says not only was it a rescue mission and a rescue operation, but it's an ongoing mission that's still going on. Even though we're in this war, the decisive victory has, has been won. But there's still a battle raging on still. We're like the nation of Israel, really, right? You remember when the Philistines attacked them? What happened when that happened? Well, they would pull back in fear, is what happened, until what? Until David, this little shepherd boy, came forward and he said, enough's enough of this. What's going on here? I will be your representative. And the one terrifying you, Goliath, I will face him. David may have looked like this weak little small boy, but he defeated their great enemy who was cowering them. And when they saw Goliath fall, what happened after that? They drove the Philistines out of their land. Because when they saw that my king fights for me, my king won for me, it gave them the courage to drive the Philistines out. And it's the same with us today. When we watch the son of David, Jesus Christ, fight for you, when you watch him step into this world, 
where you watch them step into your sin and your shame and your condemnation. And he says, I'm fighting for you. When you watch the son of David fight for you, that gives us the courage, or at least it should, give us the courage to drive the Philistines of fear, lust, pride, out of our own lives. So the reality in all this, in our situation is, yes, is that we've, we've not been freed from the fight, but we've been freed for it. Yes, you can be free from some of your struggles, but you haven't been freed from this fight. You've been freed for this fight. It's like we're like master and commander. I don't know if you ever saw that movie starring Russell Crowe, but here's kind of what is going on here. His boat was charged with taking on Napoleon's um, most feared frigate at that time. And how did he do it? Well, this is how he did it. He pulls up alongside of this ship. He uses his cannons, and he disables the main mast. And as they do that, the captain and his men board this ship, and they fight their way down into the hull. And there, as they get down there, they see English sailors being held captive in chains and cages. And in this climatic moment in the movie, the captain, Russell Cole, breaks the chains opens the gates, and sets these prisoners free. And as they step out of their cages, in their freedom, the captain, Russell Crowe, hands them a sword. Because here's the reality. You've not been set free from the fight. You've been set free for it. And that's us. That's us. Our victory is secure, and yet there's still a battle in this world, and our king hasn't just liberated us, he's given us the tools to fight in it. So if I would summarize spirituality, the pursuit of intimacy with God, and growing in our relationship with Christ, for those in Jesus Christ, it's one movement with two parts. It's a movement away from some things, And it's a movement towards some things as well. It's a movement away from ways of thinking and ways of living that would isolate us from the intimacy of God. And it's also movement towards ways of thinking and ways of living that actually promote the intimacy with God. Old theologians had a word for this process. They called it Sanctification, which means to make holy. And we all, all of us are going through this sanctifying process. It's a lifelong process of being made holy, being made more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. The word holy, what does that mean? It means to set apart. And you hear those two pieces in that word. To be holy means you're set apart from some things. And you're also set apart for some things. And that's our situation that we find ourselves in. So now let's talk about our strategy. And as we do that, we have to understand that this whole process doesn't not happen in a vacuum. We have an enemy who hates our king, so he hates you. 
because of it. So temptation doesn't go away when you come to Christ. If anything, to be honest, it actually may amplify it because your enemy wants to destroy you. Why? Because you look just like the one who shamed him and defeated him. And he can accomplish a full frontal assault on your king. So what does he do? He comes after you. He comes after me. So first we're going to look at his strategy, and then we're going to look at ours, okay? So his strategy, his goal is to get you to sin. And really what sin is, it's for you to take a willful step away from the intimacy of God. An intimacy with God that you were created and made for. And the way to twist that knife into God is to convince us to take that willful step away from his intimacy. That's what that is. He understands how we are wired. He understands that we have a mind, cognitive functions. He understands we have affections and inclination towards and or an aversion from certain things. He knows that we have a will, a decision-making mechanism. So we have a mind to think with. We have affections to feel with a will to move with. We have a mind to think with, affections to feel with, and a will to move with. What we think about and care about and chase. So what does he do? Well, this is what he does. He'll solicit thoughts to your mind to stir our affections. And when we enact the will, we take a step in a direction that we were never meant to go. And this is what the Bible calls temptation. Some of you might be thinking, Bill, where where are you getting all of this? Right? Where are you getting on this? Well, I'm getting from the passage we read from James. James 14, again, it says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That lure is your mind's attention. The enticement is your heart affection. And he wants to lure and entice with our desire. And when we enact the will, we sin, which brings forth death. That's his strategy. That's what he does. This is how it works. What you think about is what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. So the million-dollar question then becomes this. What do you entertain in your mind? What do you entertain in your mind? Because if you think about that and you understand what that is, it will actually determine what you love and what you become. What you entertain in your mind is what will determine what you love and what you become. James says each one is tempted. So that shows right there in the back. Once you come into into following Christ, temptation is still there. Like I said, probably even more so because the enemy doesn't like you. And it's not just that he doesn't like you, he hates you. And James says, each one is tempted. And some of the best self-knowledge you can have is this, how does he come at me? 
That's some of the best self-knowledge you can attain. How does he, Satan, come at you? Because here's reality. He's coming. He's coming for all of us. Sun Tzu said this in, in Art of War. He said, if you know neither your enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. But if you know your enemy and yourself, you need not fear a hundred battles. What you think about is what you care about. What you care about, you will chase. What you entertain in your mind will determine what you love and what you become. If that's what's happening, what do we do? If that's his strategy, what do we do? So let me give us three ways to fight temptation so that you can experience rest and pursue intimacy with God. First one is this, eliminate the moment. That's our first strategy, eliminate the moment. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 26, he said to watch and to pray that you not enter into temptation. Notice where Jesus draws the battle line there. He doesn't say, don't enter into sin. But notice where he draws the line. He says, don't enter into temptation. He says, be watchful. Be prayerful. That you don't step into this moment where thoughts are solicited and affections are stirred. Why? Because if this moment always leads to that moment... One of our greatest ways to battle this sin and all its attending chaos is to eliminate that moment. If this leads there, we need to eliminate the moment. For many, they, will, they go, well, the environment is my mind, Bill. What I think about on my way to work. What I think about when I'm alone. Well, then my question to you would be this. What are you allowing your mind to soak in? Because what you entertain, remember, determines what you become. Be a student of yourself. Don't shame yourself, but instead be a student of yourself. What is shaping my thinking, and where is that leading me? And if it doesn't promote life... How do I eliminate that moment? Well, James gives us two more strategies regarding that. The second one is this, paddle downstream. Paddle downstream. Now, before I engage in any particular activity, let me see where it might lead me. If I don't like, if I don't want to be there, if I don't like being there, let me not jump in here. If I don't want to go there, let me not jump in here. If I don't like that outcome there, let me change the inputs back here. James says in verse 15, he says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The Greek language has masculine and feminine words. The word desire is a feminine word. And he says, when you unite with your desire, it says she conceives and has a baby 
and she brings forth sin. Sin in this passage is also a feminine word. And it says this, sin, James is saying, gets pregnant. And she has a baby. And she called her baby death. James words it and he says it and he does this to shock us, right? It's a shock. Because the birth of a child is the most exciting moment in a human life. And he says, when you unite your will with these desires, you bring forth death. It's meant to shock us. Because sin sin always looks attractive, doesn't it? But it doesn't when you turn the lights on in the middle of the day. So let me just look downstream and see where it leads. And if I don't like the outcome... Let me change this input here. So we need to eliminate that moment. And how we do that is we need to look downstream. And if if we don't like the young outcome there, then we need to change the input here. And lastly, James tells us to look upstream. To look upstream. See, temptation gets its power from somewhere, right? And where does that power that pushes us toward destructive activities come from? Well, James says, don't be deceived. He says, don't be deceived. Notice this, every temptation ends in destruction, right? But it begins with deception. Every temptation ends in destruction, But it always begins with deception. What's the lie? What's the lie that you're believing in? James says, don't be deceived. And then he doesn't point downstream to all of our broken things that we do. What he says is this. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, you have a Father who sincerely loves you. You don't believe the lie that he doesn't. It's interesting, James says the lie that launches a million sins is the belief that God's not a good dad. Have you ever thought of that? James is really suggesting that the lie that we succumb to that leads to destruction because of sin is, the, is to believe that God is not a good dad. He says, the place to fight this is back there with that lie that God is not a good dad. I've got two beautiful, amazing girls, still little girls in my eyes and my heart. And let me tell you the most evil thing you can do to me. You look in the face of my girls and you tell them, 
their daddy doesn't love them anymore. That they are such a hassle and such a burden to me. Of course, you know, he loves you because he has to. He loves everybody. But you're such a disappointment to him. And you get them to believe the lie that she cannot run into her father's arms when she struggles. Because you know if she believes that lie, she'll go to so many broken, sad places to fill that emotional void or to numb that pain. But you lie to my kids like that, I'm telling you, you unleash wrath. Let me tell you something. That is what the devil does to you. It's exactly what he does to you. And for many of us, the place we need to fight the battle is at the end of the day, yes, we know theologically, does God love me? True or false? True. But we really don't believe it. And we think he's disappointed. We think he's frowning. We look at heaven and we say we live under his disappointment. When the enemy can get you to believe that, that your father, your heavenly father, doesn't love you, that you actually will go to so many broken streams to try to find some relief. And you don't and you can't experience rest in Jesus if you're allowing that to happen. You're believing that lie. How can you experience rest in Jesus? You can't. Fight the enemy there because at the end of the day, the best defense is a good offense. And I want to enjoy the love of my father because James says this in verse 18. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. See, sin is not the only one having babies in this passage. He loves you. He loves you like a father loves a child. And he's saying to you right here, right now in this moment, he says, I love you. I love you. And when you can understand that, the pleasure of your father will help you fight the pressure of the desert. And it's the pleasures of the Father that makes the things of this earth seem strangely dim. Amen? Our Heavenly Father, we, we want to experience and we want to find rest in you. And sometimes it's so hard because we struggle, we're all we're struggling with this battle and this war that's going on. And how can you experience rest in a battlefield? Lord, you've given us strategies, you've given us tools to help with that. And I pray as we've been reminded of them here today, that we use them. That we don't believe that lie that you are not a good father, you're not a father that cares, and you're not a, and your father that doesn't love us. And that's where we need to start. To not believe that lie. So what you think about, it's what we care about, and what we care about affects what we do. And we want to be mindful of that. And we want to experience intimacy with you. We want to experience this rest with you. So help us to understand our situation and understand 
the strategies of the enemy, but also reminding us of our strategy and how we can fight back and experience rest even in the midst of war. Help us with this. Reveal this path to us. We pray this in your name.